When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and my guest today is Victoria Barry. Victoria is Manager Communications with Grain Farmers of Ontario. Victoria, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So I got your title exactly right, mm-hmm. Manager Communications. You did. That's right. <laughs> okay, because I, I can mess that up in many different ways. Communications manager, manager <laughs> of communications, all of those things. No, but <laughs> you, I got it right. No, you got it right. <laughs> all right. So, Victoria, you've been with Grain Farmers of Ontario for a little less than a year now. That's right. Yeah, I started in January of this year. And I understand this is your first foray into agriculture. Yeah, it really is. I don't, I have no background professionally in agriculture and no even, I don't even have family background in agriculture, to be honest. So everything has been completely new. (laughs) Well, you're one of my favorite people to talk to, someone who (laughs) was not in agriculture and then made the choice to get into it. Yeah, that's right. I basically, you know, when I saw that the, that Grain Farmers of Ontario was looking for a communications manager and I've, I love communications first and foremost, kind of have always, always loved, uh, you know, storytelling and and all of that stuff. And so I started like digging into agriculture and specifically grain farming in Ontario. And, uh, and it was really intriguing Um, as an industry. There's obviously a lot of bumps in the road, but there's a lot of passion around the industry and a lot of great people working in it, connected to it that are, you know, our farmer members, the board is, is a really strong board. And so I was really, really intrigued to, um, to take the leap into agriculture. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you have to say that now because you work <laughs> in agriculture. <laughs> How much of a city girl are you? Uh, well, I, I did grow up sort of rural on the outskirts of Whitby, Ontario, uh, so in the eastern Ontario. So you grew up in a, a suburb of Whitby, which is a suburb of Toronto. That's right, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. There there were cows in a field close to my house, but we certainly uh, didn't didn't go and visit them very often. And I spent as much no. time as I could going into Toronto to visit my family there and, uh, you know, went to school in Toronto and 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 lived there for a while and then moved to Guelph and have always sort of lived in within that kind of size, you know, Guelph, Whitby, those type of size. Right. And there's lots of reasons to move to Guelph that have nothing to do with agriculture. That's right. Including that my husband went to university here. <laughs> Oh, well, he's, so he's a University of Guelph graduate. Okay. That's right. But he's not involved in agriculture either. Not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. So you can also go to the University of Guelph for something other than agriculture. Yeah. That's right. People will go to the University of Guelph and not be an Aggie. Right. <laughs> Guelph is also, Guelph is a great location for us because we were commuting into Toronto for our jobs for a while. And then I started commuting to Waterloo uh, because I worked in tech Whoa. for a long Tell time. Tell me about commuting to Toronto though. I want to, because I really want to get... Like, what are you possibly thinking when you decide to do that 401 commute every day? Uh, it was terrible. It was terrible even then. And that was like 16 years, 17 years ago. And it was terrible even then. We listened to a lot of, you know, books, <laughs> audio books and things <laughs> driving in um, and uh, spent, you know, a lot of time looking at tail- brake lights. So you and your husband both commuted into Toronto? 
Yes, he worked at near the airport and I would drop okay. him off and I'd keep going to McAllen where Computer World Canada and Network World Canada, which were tech magazines, were published. And that's where I worked. Okay, so explain to people that aren't from this area, that don't understand the the sort of Waterloo, Toronto commute, why any person in their right mind <laughs> might choose to do that. I think you have to really like your job. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> I did really like my but, job. But you could, live in, you could live in Toronto too. Well, you could live in Toronto, but it was really hard to own a house in Toronto. And I yeah. really wanted to own a house. So everything within an hour and a half of Toronto... <laughs> the housing market has really spiked because people are coming out of Toronto and they're moving into the small towns and, and communities in southwest Ontario and, and they're doing that, that crazy commute. Well, yeah, cause, and I think two things would be it's cost prohibitive for a young, uh, anyone starting out to purchase, to buy in Toronto anything, uh-huh. you know, if they want four walls of their own. And then I think, you know, if you're starting a family too, you you take a look at all of the different school systems and all of the different things viable. And if you're already commuting in, then you might start looking for work kind of closer to, to you know, home base. And I think it's interesting in agriculture, and you've probably picked up on this already. I mean, in agriculture, we sometimes lament the fact that people from the cities can't understand what life on a farm is or what it's like living in, in rural communities. And at the same time, I think there's just as big a gap there when I try and understand someone that does that commute into Toronto, what would drive them and, and what would make them choose to do that every day. You're right. I think that <laughs> I think that it's been really interesting seeing, you know, the, the disconnects both ways um, coming into mm-hmm. the agriculture world. It's definitely interesting that probably in both cases, there's a huge element of passion there, right? Like, so if you're mm-hmm. commuting into yeah. the city and you're willing to put in those hours, it's because you really like what you're doing or there's something yeah. in there that's really drawing you to the city and still being part of that sort of bustling uh, lifestyle, usually your business, yeah. a professional lifestyle. And if you're working in agriculture, there's something that you love about it that's drawing you to that. And it's this labor of love and it, it has to be to, mm-hmm. to keep at it, right? So it's interesting to me to think on it in those terms. That commute is a sacrifice, just like a lot of farmers make sacrifices to do what they love. That commute is a sacrifice to keep doing what you're really passionate about. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and even when you, you know, even when you look at Guelph to Waterloo, that was Still, still a 45-minute commute. Yeah. It's still worth it, though, if, if you really like what you're doing. Right, yeah. I hadn't really stopped to think about it in that perspective. I guess my whole attitude towards people that do that commute is they must be out of their minds. <laughs> there might be a little bit of that, too. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. All right, so you have you had some interesting jobs then working in, in communications. Tell me about a couple of the things that you did before you came to Grain Farmers of Ontario. I spent about a decade at BlackBerry doing uh, communications in various roles there. So I went, I did, you know, public relations and media relations for a lot of my time there, but working with different groups like uh, the enterprise backend server Mm -hmm. group, the actual phones and general public, and then the um, application developer space, and then even uh, BBM, uh, BlackBerry Messenger, which was really popular at one point as a messaging tool, uh, working with that team on their PR and then going into uh, marketing on the developer side, but always with writing, messaging, doing social media work and those kind of things always at the core of what I was doing. 
and it was really interesting. I came in at kind of the upswing <laughs> where we said yeah, 2,500 yep. yeah. employees when I started and it went up to about 17,000. And then uh, when I left, I think they were probably at about 10,000. And then a lot less after that. Yes, yeah, a lot less after that. Yeah, it's true. I have a very special kind of love-hate, mostly hate relationship with BlackBerry <laughs> at this point because uh, <laughs> I didn't buy BlackBerry stock when it was at 100 and, 140 because I thought, well, that's crazy. So I waited till it came down to about 60 or 80 and then I bought a bunch of it. And then when it went down to <laughs> 12 or something like I that. I don't, and I couldn't <laughs> even tell you right now where it's at. I never looked. <laughs> no, I know. I yeah. know. It's, yep. And I mean, at one time though, in this area, and even people in the States that are listening to this, they'll have heard of the BlackBerry. I mean, there was a time when it was sort of the device. I mean, you watched network dramas on TV and the detectives and the president yep. and everybody was, they had a BlackBerry and, and the product placement was everywhere. Definitely. And then it turned so fast. <laughs> it really did. You know, um, the, I think the iPhone launched in 2007 and you can sort of draw the line right to that point. And then you can draw the mm -hmm. line starting to go down after, you know, right around, I would say 2008 was the real tipping point when Apple launched the actual app store and that changed yeah. the game entirely. And it was, it was really, it, you know, as, as disheartening as it was for people I knew who were negatively impacted, it was, also really interesting to watch the industry oh, yeah. and what was happening. And Victoria, my wife worked there for a short time in, in the HR department. Oh, okay. Very specific role in, a, in one department, you know, and it was really interesting to, to hear from her, you know, like how fast employees were being added. And this was just at the time, just when it, it turned, you know, mm -hmm. when it was just adding any employees that well, it just seemed like bodies and bodies and bodies and bodies without any real idea of what everybody was doing. You know, looking at it now, again, as an outsider looking at it, it's easy to be critical of the decisions that were made. But when a business has so much success that fast, it's easy to see how they can lose focus on improvement. And, and just if you've been that successful, it's easy to think how you're always going to be right and you're always going to be a leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be an interesting cautionary tale for businesses about, yeah. you know, you can't just keep hiring buckets to throw water at the, no, the fire, no. right? We got to figure out the cause and actually be a That's little, right. you know, smarter about that. And that tech space is, it changes so fast. It does. I think fickle would be a good word. <laughs> it's Yeah, but, but also like a huge personal connection for people. So as they started flipping yeah. over, they made these personal connections to other devices and other platforms. and. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. they, they were making, this is a life choice, right? And then you know, people yeah. were connecting to it. Is it that way now? Like, are you still, do people identify? I guess I have an iPhone, but I don't identify as an Apple person. I mean, I wouldn't want to give up my iPhone, but that's mostly a comfort level. With BlackBerry, I know people that still have Blackberries, even though, you know, well, I guess it's all on an Android platform now. But mm -hmm. is there that connection like there used to be? Uh, I, you know, I, I would say that actually there probably is, I, maybe not as much as the, you know, to the platform because Android isn't, it, Android has a lot of mobile connection, whether it's your tablet and your phone, and then maybe like some of the OS operating on like your TV or, or maybe you're doing, you're using Google home. So some, so those things are kind of all interconnected and you might be a bit of a Google household yeah. and then you might be a bit of an Apple house, household. You might have Macs and you're, you know, you've got that transition stuff that goes on with tech from your phone to your desktop, to your iPad. And that gives you a nice flow for your communications and whatever it is you're working on or searching. So, so in, in some ways I do think 
that people are still connected really to their phone of choice. And, and I think it actually mm-hmm. starts at the phone still. To the point where people get connected not just to their phone, but probably they get connected to their operating system so that they don't want to do an upgrade when it comes out in case it changes <laughs> something. Oh, well, and nowadays, I would say don't. Don't, don't do that update for a few weeks. <laughs> okay, so did you have to handle some bad PR stuff when you were at BlackBerry? Oh, definitely. There was always, um, you know, there's always like different things going on. Some of the big negative points for BlackBerry would have been, what year was it? I'm trying to remember if it was 2006 or 2008. There was one year where there was a big outage right near Christmas time. And Uh that was... uh, That was one of the really big deals. People lost service for about three or four days, and there was actual an actual amount of panic happening. Um, <laughs> so trying to understand, uh, you know, figure out root cause analysis. I'm working with everyone to figure out, okay, what can we say? What, what can't we say? You know, what information mm-hmm. can we actually give people? And let's make sure we're not making anything up, right? Like, and, and only giving right. facts and make sure we have the real facts. Don't just, like, let any, you know, any misinformation get out there and get spread. There was that, and there was a, a big patent lawsuit um, against BlackBerry that was settled uh, at one mm-hmm. point, and that was a big deal because there was a, a threat of the service being shut down in the United States, which was at the time a significant percentage of the uh, user base. Yeah, for sure. And then we had a few. Um, we had two CEO changes during my time <laughs> there, so <laughs> that was. Thank you. I was <laughs> hoping you were going to get to that. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. (laughs) Those were both interesting times. But I've said before, and I'll say again, that being able to be part of those as a Canadian tech company is something not a lot of people can can say that they, they ever had that experience. You know, I manned the broadcast desk. So I was working with Fox and ABC and NBC and figuring out their slots with our new CEO and what we were going to say to them and who we wouldn't be able to get to that day. And how do you prioritize those guys? And how do you figure out satellite feeds to all of them and all the different things that you've got to get together to get that lineup going? And I don't know that there are many companies in Canada I could have worked for where I would have got that experience. And BlackBerry will will always have a place in in the history of Canadian technology. Yeah, if we if we if we look back uh, if we look back at telecommunications, I I think that the iPhone and the Android and all of the phones out there nowadays, no matter who, no matter what OS it's based on, have a lot to thank Mike Lazaridis and BlackBerry for. I don't think that the way that wireless communications works would have happened the way or as quickly as it did without him as the inventor, right? And there's a lot of spin-off businesses in our region, and there's a lot of people that cut their teeth at BlackBerry, Mm -hmm. maybe you included, you know, that that then go on from there and do some really, really interesting and, and important things as well. Oh, yeah. If you look at some of the different tech startups happening throughout Guelph, Waterloo, and Toronto, and the founders might not have a connection, but a lot of their talent might have a connection to <laughs> to, to BlackBerry yeah. and some of the, yeah. and, and the engineering the engineering groups and teams and the marketing groups and teams from you know Waterloo and Toronto. And after you had to deal with some degenerate CEOs and executives and their drunken rowdy behavior, you were perfectly <laughs> suited to take a job at Grain Farmers of Ontario. <laughs> what? Uh, I I haven't made that connection, actually. (laughs) You've met Steve McCabe, though. (laughs) (laughs) What an outstanding manager of member relations we have here. (laughs) I poke fun, but yes, Steve is is a great guy. Okay. Okay, but then tell us how you went from working in the ultra 
tech field, working with the big the big networks and things like that, how you went from that to something completely different, working in agriculture communications. It really was sort of the opportunity. I had worked in tech in one form or another, from reporter to PR to content and, and communications for about 15 years, maybe 15 or 17 years. And when I heard about the grain farmers opportunity. And so for me, it was really intriguing to come in at sort of this, I call myself like the uncarved block, right? Come in Mm -hmm. at this state where I could learn this industry and learn the ins and outs and maybe bring a unique lens or not 100% unique. There's lots of people coming in egg without uh, an agriculture background, but, but bring my particular lens to the role and to communications and all of the work I had done in terms of you know, the digital communications and digital marketing and content marketing and all of these things that are taking off in tech and see what's applicable in agriculture and how can I help how can I help get the the important stories told and get the the real stories out there and and can can I be part of making a difference and and having positive impact and so knowing that there was an opportunity to think that way and act that way and be that way that was pretty compelling for someone like me who just loves storytelling and comms and audience tone yeah. and and all of that. Tell me about the learning curve <laughs> that you went through. I, I appreciate that you think that that's past tense, <laughs> but it's well, not. <laughs> From day one, the learning curve is steep and there's a lot for me to, to learn. I, I will never know it all, but it's fascinating. You know, whether it's uh, my fourth day in when I realized that uh, marketing didn't mean in agriculture what it has always meant for me <laughs> working uh, in marketing. No. And I was like, why is I there a exactly marketing department? Mean. And the communications <laughs> department and having to find yeah. that out, you know, AI doesn't mean artificial intellligence. No, IP doesn't does mean not. intellectual property. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I had to, uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, Crosby Devitt, who is our vice president, uh, strategic business development. He took me around at the outdoor farm show and actually took me on like a tractor tour just so I could learn a little bit more about some of the actual equipment and really dig in a little bit and ask some questions and show me the inner workings of things. And so I could understand. And, you know, each day, I'll, you know, I'll well, I wouldn't say each day, but maybe each week, there's a different issue that I'm <laughs> diving into, you know, that I have to learn about in terms of whether it's crop production and production tools, whether it's, you know, uh, activists and different, uh, you know, activist yeah. groups. And uh, and then there's just the terminology and understanding the seasons. You know, I'd be like, oh, can, you know, we need a farmer member to speak at this thing. And everyone looked at me and they're like, not this week, it's harvest. <laughs> I was like, right, right, by right. that. They're by a little, little tied up. We'll find yeah. someone else. <laughs> Was there anything that you were particularly surprised to learn? I think I was surprised to understand a few things. One, how utterly politically savvy everyone is compared to me. (laughs) You know, like our our members, our board of directors, like they know the ins and outs of, you know, regulations and just they, they, they understand the political landscape in a way that I had never appreciated before. And so learning that has been really eye-opening to me and we have a really great um, head of government relations here and she's been really great at helping kind of coach me through and help me understand it. Um, The industry is much more complex. You know, people from the outside looking in might be inclined to kind of be dismissive of agriculture sometimes as as some sort of simplistic industry because it's farming and it's seemed as simple and the land 
and they could not be more wrong, right? So that's one of the things, you know, learning is, you know, how, what a science and an art agriculture is and how deep it goes and how, how, like I said, like all the issues that I'm trying to read up on and become informed on, they're not little, they're complex. I think I was really surprised by how many agriculture groups and organizations there are in the industry. There's a lot, right? There's a lot of acronyms and there's a lot of people working really hard to do good for ag. I think that from the outside looking in, there were some disconnects there, you know, and it's great to see the industry coming more and more together and working more collaboratively. I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of that. And so seeing that and being involved where I can is, is, is a great opportunity. Yeah, and you said that people had this simplistic view of agriculture or, or maybe even nostalgic view. Mm, and mm. to a large extent, that's because that's the way we've presented it to them. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, for the most part. I think that the yeah, I think that there is a lot of there's a lot of innovation and depth you're right, in agriculture that maybe isn't presented to the public that way. And when we talk about, you know, the general public being disconnected from the farm, maybe we need to show them how how innovative farming is and the care that has been taken to to modernize farms and to make sure that we're using the best methods and we're using the best data, we're making really good decisions. And this is how and how that then impacts the table at home, you know, as we're feeding our kids. Yeah, I think that there there maybe has been a sort of, uh, I, it's not a facade, but there has been sort of this way of looking at farming and farming presenting itself as, you know, like you, I think you said nostalgic, and that's probably the perfect word. So in your day-to-day work now, are you mostly communicating or, or designing communications to farmer members, or is it more consumer-facing? So my experience lends itself to uh, consumer facing for sure. And the area that I have the most to learn in is probably the farmer member facing communications. Uh, But we have some great, yeah, we have some great channels for that because we have uh, the Ontario Grain Farmer Magazine for our members. We have our Grain Talk newsletter, Grain Talk podcast, and our webinar series, and a lot of these other things that we're putting together to make sure that our farmer members have the information they need. We're starting to look at ways to use our email, to use email more and more. But I would say that my particular background is probably more relevant for the consumer communications at this point. So tell us some a few of the things that Grain Farmers of Ontario is got on the go right now. Sure. So uh, we actually just uh, we're just ramping up our sponsorship of the Ottawa Senators. This is the first time that we've sponsored them. Uh, we have traditionally sponsored the Hamilton Ticats, who we're just finishing up the season with. Uh, and we also the last couple of years did sponsor the Ontario Hockey League. And we switched that for the Senators looking at the NHL area and specific to Eastern Canada sorry, Eastern Ontario, what types of programs we can run with them to be in front of the community in Ottawa and surrounding area to leverage their social network and engage with them and and build that community that way. Uh, They've been great to work with, actually. They have a lot of great ideas and they're open to a lot of different suggestions, whether it's, you know, if we're shooting little 
social media trivia campaigns. Can we also provide some B-roll, different video that we've done, like little clips of video that they can put in front of their own videos on their site as like a pre-roll ad. They're open to that. We wanted to do, you know, um, different, you know, health tips and tricks that, uh, that as part of our Train With Grains campaign. and Train With Grains, okay. Yeah, Train With Grains. I think it's been running for a couple of years now. It certainly predates me, but it's basically, we have a bunch of different things we've run under that. Like we're, we've got Train With Grains tips every Tuesday on social. We have, uh, we're going to be starting in January, Ask an Athlete, talking about how they train with grains uh, to different athletes across Ontario. Uh, we've done work with the Ontario University Athletics Organization. We ran a, a contest last year for student athletes um, where they could win some scholarship money. Cool. Okay. This is a slightly delicate question. How much of your job is spent trying to convince people that carbs are not evil? <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I think as much as you can, just focus on the fact that grains are healthy and delicious and, and wonderful and not... There are some people I'm never going to convince that carbs aren't evil, but there are <laughs> other ways that we, you know, just staying focused on the positives around grains and around the health benefits, you know, making sure that we're choosing to work with the right um, groups, like I said, whether it's university athletes or we, we have a working relationship with Krista Duchenne, who's a, a Canadian marathon Olympian, and uh, work with her, work with different dietitians and nutritionists to put out information around healthy grains and the benefits of them. And I think more focus on that. And then we're going to be focusing a little bit more on how we can tie a lot of these campaigns into being really smart on digital in terms of ad spend and SEO, like search engine optimization spend Mm -hmm. and the search engine marketing that you would then tie into that. And how can we make sure that if someone's typing in, you know, our grain's bad for me, that maybe our results are coming up a little bit higher and making sure that they're getting some of that good, smart information um, as they're making their decisions and, and informing themselves. You know, that's something that we're just kind of dipping our toes in the pool in in a more aggressive way on that. And so that would be over the next few months that that will ramp up. And we have a few other things coming. You know, we have other ideas, things we want to try and do for that sort of grain education and, and, you know, some media programs and things like that. It should be a really interesting start to 2019. And then you have a women's only symposium coming up here in November. That's right. And not everybody agrees with having separate events just for women. I think in this case, what we're really trying to do is we want to provide an opportunity for networking and education for our female farmer members and really show them the benefit of getting involved on a leadership side in an organization like Green Farmers of Ontario or some of the other commodity and industry groups that they might be affiliated with through their business. And so this is a great way for us to just ensure that they know about the opportunities that are open for them for leadership if it's not something that they've thought of before, uh, because maybe it has been traditionally pretty male dominated. And so maybe we Mm -hmm. make a special effort to say, you are also incredibly valued and we want to see you be part of this. You're part of the future and we want you to feel like you should be part of that future. Yeah, reaching out to all the members. There's lots of opportunities for all of our members to come and be part of, you know, our district meetings, program called Grains and Actions that's focused on young farmers and and youth who want to get involved. And again, it's basically saying, 
here, you know, there are leadership opportunities and you should, we're engaged and we're enthusiastic about you being part of it. We want you to be engaged and enthusiastic about being part of it. Here's how you can get involved. Well, that, that, that's awesome, Victoria. Uh, and we've been involved in Grains in Action. We've worked with grain farmers on different things, and it is a strong producer organization, and I think that you guys do some awesome things. I do want to ask about a couple of uh, a couple of other things not related to Grain Farmers of Ontario. Ready? Okay. What's your favorite comic book? What's my favorite comic book? Hmm. I happen to be a really big comic book nerd. So <laughs> I heard that about you, yeah. I love Lumberjanes, which is a comic book series about, uh, it's basically like girl guides with some supernatural stuff thrown in. Um, I also, there's a really good comic called um, Lazarus, which is an excellent, uh, it's a bit of an adult comic, but it's a really good one. Um, but I also really love, you know, I have a 15 year old daughter and so we'll, we'll all read Ms. Marvel together. There's a new Ms. Marvel out. <laughs> and how often do you find yourself as the only female in a comic book store? <laughs> I Okay, so my confession <laughs> is that lately I shop a lot on digi- for digital comics. But, um, oh, but to be oh. honest, you know, uh, if you go to like comic book stores, I know in Guelph, a lot of the people working at them are female. So I never really feel as lonely as I used to. I would say that when I was a teenager, I was very much the only girl sometimes going and shopping for comic books. Yeah. So that's a stereotype that, that I have completely wrong and I, I should get with the times. Um, I think that more and more comics are being geared towards <laughs> women. And plus, you know, comic stores to survive have put a lot of, you know, the Funko Pop figures and gaming stuff like, you know, whether it's uh, World of Warcraft or they have a lot, they have to have a lot more line of business than just the, the comics to survive. And a lot of that is, you know, the T-shirt and sort of swaggy stuff that, um, and, and uh, so a lot of, I think, young women are drawn in by some of that cool, you know, oh, they've got a whole section on Harry Potter, and I was looking for these different things, and hopefully while they're there, they'll be like, oh, this looks like a really interesting graphic novel. And, you know, and uh, I said my daughter's 15, and her English class just read a graphic novel. So they're definitely, you're seeing it as seeing, as seeing more cross-gender. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not into comic books or video games, so you and I are not really on the same page there. But but on this next one, I think we're going to agree on a lot of stuff. You're a Disney World fanatic. I am. I am a Disney World fanatic. <laughs> and how many times have you been to Disney World? I I've been to Disney World um, fourteen times. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. Well, you <laughs> you have beat me then. <laughs> I thought I thought I was outrageous. I've been six or seven. Fourteen times. Yeah, I have a twelve year old and a fifteen year old and they are also big fans of Disney. Yeah. Um and uh and so we we just try to go down like once every couple of years or you know, if the opportunity presents itself, then then we might go we might go more than that. And there will be people that are listening to this, Victoria, that think that you and I are nuts. <laughs> Because I know lots of people that go to Disney one time and then never want to go back again. <laughs> that's right. That's again. enough. That's enough. No. It, it's, not, it's not the most relaxing vacation by any means, but just the, the busyness of it and the crowd and the lines. There's something about that that I just find really, really enjoyable. Yeah, and I think I like, I think I like, and you can't always do it, but I like the idea that maybe I can game the system a little bit at Disney and I can find a way to like get yeah. all the rides I want and figure out the lineups and the passes and kind of, you know, uh, you know, just, just make the most out of it. But you're right, you come home wanting a couple of days off. 
it sounds like you and my wife Jennifer would <laughs> would, would get along just fine because when we have gone, she's done that thing too where we have our whole day planned out and mm-hmm. you know you get there at the start and and I got to run get tickets at this place and you know you got to be at this place at this time because that's when the lines are going to be the shortest and it's it's sort of <laughs> goal oriented holiday. That's right. <laughs> Exactly. Again, there's going to be people listening to this. Don't don't at me on Twitter about my Disney obsession. But it sounds like it sounds like you're way more cuckoo about that than I am. So I'm really glad to hear that. It's possible. All right. Tell me your most embarrassing Disney moment or most awkward situation you've got in a Disney park. Oh, you know, I've had a couple (laughs) like moments with. um, I was. I was talking to someone in line at my kids wanted to meet princess Tiana from princess and the frog. And I was talking to <laughs> okay. someone in the lineup and I was paying zero attention to them. And all of a sudden I heard this voice going, Victoria, Victoria. And I look over and the <laughs> prince and princess are waiting. I mean, they're like, come here, come here. Your children want you. And I was like, Oh, how long has that been going on before I actually <laughs> turned around and acknowledged them? My kids are waiting for me. Like we've been done for 10 minutes. <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. I have my own embarrassing princess story because I was always a good sport when my, our kids were little and they always wanted me to take a picture with the princess. So <laughs> I, I got my picture taken with Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that is the most stripper looking <laughs> Disney photograph that ever exists. It's not good. But okay, that <laughs> that's enough, enough about Disney there. Fair. Well, Victoria, I think it's it's awesome that you chose to get involved in agriculture. I think the perspective that you bring from being involved in other, you know, really interesting businesses and and, and high tech industries, I'm sure you have a, a great perspective to offer. And I think the fact that you have seen things from the consumer side for as long as you have will really help grain farmers and help those of us in ag in how we get that story across. Well, thank you. I hope that, I hope you're right. Like, I think that, uh, you know, the more I learn about agriculture, the more that I want to be part of building the trust and building trust in public and telling the stories and, and helping people understand how amazing food produced in Ontario is. And so I'm really lucky that I get to be part of that. I, that that's what I'm learning day to day. And, and that's the feeling that's definitely growing. Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you as part of our our community. We will put some links up there. GFO.ca, goodinevergrain.ca. Any other links that we should be attaching? Um, maybe just our Twitter handles at Good and Grain um, and at Grain Farmers. And if anyone needs me, I'm at Barry Vic. Victoria, thanks for taking some time and, and chatting. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again soon. Thanks so much. This has been the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.